Good evening, and God bless you for being here. I agree with Brother Floyd. I'm looking forward to this last message. I don't know how to take that. Was, is he glad I'm leaving, or is he? <laughs> no, I, I'm sure. He asked me tonight if I'm loaded. I said, yes, that literally two ways. I'm loaded here, and I'm loaded in my car. I'm ready to... to uh, <clears throat> Lord willing, I plan to travel home this evening after church here. So when you go to bed, you can pray for me on the road. That the Lord will keep me awake and alert. Thank you very much for your hospitality here and for your attention. You know, it's, it's not very nice to speak when people are looking around and that's pretty hard to speak to people, you know. But when you notice, when you know that they're listening, that, that, that's very, very much easier to speak when you're alert and you're uh, uh, um, listening to what's being said. God bless you here in this valley. Uh, I, I, my prayer is that this valley would Know Jesus because of your community here. Well, I wonder, are you afraid? Are you fearful? Do you, do you get fearful at all? Nothing really to be fearful in this valley, is there? We live in a world that is full of fear. People are filled with fear. Some years ago, it wasn't too many years ago, I heard of a, of a, a, a lady that was shopping in a store. She had her young son in the cart with her. He reached into her purse and boom, shot her. Because she had a gun. In her purse. Why? She was afraid. There was another man who came home one night from a trip and his daughter, his little daughter, wanted to surprise him, scare him. She was in the closet. And she jumped out to, to, to say, to scare him, you know, in a, in a nice way. And he pulled his gun and shot her. And he, she lasted long enough to tell you, I love you, Daddy. Because people are so afraid. Afraid. Some are afraid of sickness. Some are afraid of the economy. Some fear they'll get robbed. Some fear they'll get shot. Some fear they'll have an accident. Some fear failure or death and on and on. I believe fear is a tool of the devil. Fear is a tool of the devil. The Bible over and over again says that Christian, Christians and the people of God are not to fear. You know, when I was studying this, I thought it appeared that, it, that, that the Bible says 365 times, fear not. I thought that's really neat. 
For every day of the, every day of the year, 365 times? It, it, it's not true. It doesn't, quite. But you know, if the Bible just says that one time, that should be enough, shouldn't it? That God says, don't be afraid. Fear not. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let the men of the world fear. The people of God are to trust. Now, is it just, has it recently just become a problem, this fear issue? Has it recently just become a problem? Or was it longer ago too? Uh, just, just in the 1900s, right? No? Well, where, where, where else did they fear? What's that? Way back in the Garden of Eden, they feared. Yes, they did. The children of Israel. Weren't they afraid? The, uh, when, they came to, when they came to, the first time they came to close to Jericho, to the promised land, and they sent... Uh, Moses sent those spies into, into the land of Canaan and they came back and they gave an evil report. They said, these men are big. We can't get this land. These people are too big for us. And Joshua and Caleb said, come on, let's go. We can get this. And the people and, and, and the spies caused the people to fear. And because of fear, they were turned away. They never made it. The army of Israel, when David was a youngster, the army of Israel was against the Philistines. And for 30 days, that huge Israeli army was immobilized because they were afraid. They were afraid. And David said, what are you doing? We got a God that will help us. And you know the story well. In Matthew 4, or in Mark 4, Jesus was on the sea. He was sleeping. We read that verse this morning. And the disciples were all scared. The water was coming in the boat. And they shook him and said, Jesus, we're going to perish. And Jesus stood up and he calmed the waters. And what did he say after that? I find it ironic. Well, I mean, they were nearly going to die. And Jesus said, why are you so fearful? I tell you, when Jesus is in the boat, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. Another time, when Jesus was walking on the water during the night, they were scared. They thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, be not afraid. It is I. Or it is I, be not afraid. When Jesus is, your, is with you, you don't have to be afraid. In Luke 21, verse 26, it says, Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. 1 John 4, 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because feareth torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. 
2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Proverbs 9 verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Obviously, there are two kinds of fear. There's a good fear, and there's a bad fear. There's a fear of the Lord, and a fear that hath torment. I'd like to talk about the fear that hath torment just a little bit. What does fear do to us? Does what? Controls us? Okay. What else? Paralyzes us. I've got about seven things here that fear does. Sometimes we get stuck because of fear. It paralyzes us. It makes us not move. And in Deuteronomy 20, when the Lord was telling Moses how the children of Israel should go out to battle, when they they faced an enemy that was more in number than they were, among other things, they were to find out if there were any that were fearful or faint-hearted. And those that were fearful were supposed to go back home. Because fear begets fear. If they were afraid, they were supposed to go home. Because it would spread to the other soldiers. Two, fear makes us sick. I'm not going to spend too much time on these tonight. I'd I'd like to look at two things, fear and discouragement tonight. And so I'm, I'm... So number two, fear makes us sick. Number three, fear makes us hide things. It makes us lie about things. What will people think if they find out? And we cover up with lies. In fact, fear has caused people to take their lives. Number four, fear opens our minds to the devil's lies. Oh, you can't do it. They won't listen to you. You're too ugly. They'll laugh at you if you do. Fear causes all kinds of things, all kinds of thoughts in our head. And it opens our minds. The devil can put lies right in your mind. Number five, fear is painful and it torments the spirit. And number six, fear brings weakness. Oh, I believe the devil knows that. He loves fear, at least the use of fear. You know, I think the devil is very fearful himself. And he knows the power of fear. He is afraid because he knows he's doomed. Number seven, fear causes disobedience. Now, on the other hand, those are the negatives of fear. 
Probably all of us face fear sometimes, don't we? And some fear is probably good. It helps us be a little bit more cautious so we don't, don't fall. You know, if we, if we have a little bit of fear, we won't... We need a little bit of fear sometimes so, we're, so we walk cautiously. They help us be a little more careful, not so haphazard. But what we do with fear, how we handle our fear is what makes all the difference. You know, some of the most blessed, some of the most invigorating, most motivating experiences come in times of fear. What are your favorite Bible stories? David and Goliath, okay. What else? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Any others? What are some other Bible stories you like? Children. It doesn't just have to be children. Anybody? Queen Esther. Do you have one? Okay. <laughs> Daniel and the lion's den. There's all kinds of them. So do you think these people experience fear? Daniel and, Daniel and the lions. He, no, he... When they said he's going to be thrown in the lions, he said, oh, no problem. <laughs> I can handle those lions. Uh, that'll be no problem for me. The Lord take care of it. You think so? No. I think he had fear. His heart was pounding when he was going to the lion's den. He didn't know if he was going to come out alive or not. But he had a fear in his heart that was greater than the fear that torments. And he went through the fear that torments, and God took care of the fear. That's, that's so powerful. That's so beautiful, I believe. It's in those times of fear that we really need to fear, that we really feel the need of Jesus Christ. There's no other place to go, no other help to get. And we call on God. It's in those experiences when we meet God and the power and the strength and the energy that He can give that we can get nowhere else. We can't wait till all the fear is gone to move. But God wants to take us through the areas of our fears because there is where we meet Him. There's a lot of things that you and I would probably never do or have done if we would have to wait till all the fear is gone. Part of faith is moving through fear. When we lay that in the hands of the Almighty, and move in faith, he takes care of the fear. The Bible says that wisdom begins with fear. What is the fear of God? What is the fear of God? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. What kind of fear is he talking about? Are we supposed to be scared of God? What is the fear of God? Reverence? Good. Respect? To hate evil? Wouldn't be obedience also? Doing what God wants you to do? Doing what the Word says we should do? And all of these, I think you can't have one 
You can't say, oh, I, I fear God and not obey Him. You can't have one without the others. These are a package. That's the fear of God. Here's a quote. When we live in the fear of God, we have nothing to fear. Part of wisdom is learning what to fear. When it's the mind of God that you fear, all the other things that usually make us afraid fall under the safe umbrella that we have in Jesus Christ, and we don't have to be afraid because He's in control and we follow Him. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John 4. There's a verse here I'd like to show you. I love this verse. I I used to not like it. 1 John 4, verse 18. 1 John 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, I was a very fearful person. My teenage years, I I had a lot of fear. And I thought, must be I don't love enough. I don't have enough love. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. I must not have been made perfect in love. Does he say that the Lord will remove all the fear and then you'll have perfect love? Is that what he says here? He says perfect love casts out fear. I think it implies that when I move in the love of God, in the love for God Almighty, love for God makes me move, even if I'm fearful. And if you can move... Even if you're afraid, if it's the, if it's the fear of God, he will, he will take care of the fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You move in the, in the love of God, God will take care of the fear. And we have many examples in the Bible where this has happened. People didn't wait till all the fear was gone to move, but they moved and God took care of the fear. I think when the Israelites went to cross the Jordan River, They probably expressed some fear. The priests were to take the ark and they were to go out to the river and they were to step in the river. But what if it's a drop-off? What what if it's slippery? What if what if there's some stones there? What if what if and they could have not gone because they what if? But when they stepped in there, they went through that fear. They stepped in and And they walked in there on dry land. And all those thousands of people went across there with all that water. Can you imagine what that did to their hearts? What adoration and and, and praise that put in their hearts to an almighty God. You think they had any questions that God was going to take care of them? Not only to them, but to the people around them. When When the Jericho people saw those water backed off, That put some fear in their hearts too. The Bible says their heart melted. Mary. 
she probably had all kinds of fears about what people would say about her having a baby and wasn't even married yet. What would Joseph say when he finds out she's pregnant? Who will believe her when she tells him how it happened? But she resigned to the will of God. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it according to thy will. She went through that fear, and God cast out the fear. Esther, oh, I think when she walked in before the king, she had a lot of fear. Her heart was pounding. She didn't know if he was going to be in a good mood or a bad mood. She didn't know if he was going to be drunk or not. She didn't know if she would come out alive. But she had a fear that was greater than the fear that torments. And God cast out the fear. We have Hebrews 11, 7 through 40. We have an account of all kinds of men and women that did all kinds of things that naturally, normally speaking, they could not do. They moved by faith. And in verse 7, it says of Noah, he moved with fear. He moved with fear. Oh, we have the three Hebrew boys. Someone mentioned those. I think, I think they were fearful too. They were afraid, but they told the king, we're not even, we're not even careful to answer you in this matter. We're not going to bow down. We don't know what's going to happen. If our God's going to deliver us or not, but we won't bow down. And they went through their fear, and God cast out the fear. Not only did that bring adoration to those young men's hearts, but the king did a 160 degree, 180 degree turn. He turned around and said, if anybody says anything about this God, I will destroy them. And not only that, I think when that story went out across the country, people were, you mean the fire didn't burn them? Because these young men were willing to go through the fear that torments because of the fear of God in their hearts. I know that fears are real. There are some things that are very fearful to us. Fear can do us a lot of harm. And I also realize that perhaps a little fear sometimes does us some good. But the real key to being free from the fear that torments is to be full of the fear of the Lord. To be full of the fear of the Lord. He will cast out the fear that torments. Brothers and sisters, I believe the battle is the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. If you forget everything else that I say here this evening, remember this. The battle is the Lord's. We have an enemy that's a giant. He's battle-scarred and has lots of experience. He's much stronger than you are. And he knows the tactics that will take down a man better than you, ha- than you, can- you, you do. He's been at it for a long time. You're no match for the enemy. You can't outwit him. You can't outsmart him, outmove him, sneak up from behind and get him. He's a sharpshooter, and he will take you unless you, like David, stand up and say, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. 
Now, I don't know if here in Rose Hill you, you're affected by discouragement or not. Maybe, maybe not here at Rose Hill. I mean, this is, you're, between, you're in a valley with mountains on the sides. I mean, it's beautiful here. There's nothing to be discouraged about, is there? Here. Well, I've got news for you. 25 years old, you younger than 25. When you, when you get to 25 years old, how many of you are less than 25? Yeah. When you get, when you get up, to, up to 25 years old, after 25, there's no more discouragement. Isn't that true? Oh, some, oh, they said. But it is after you get married. If you, if you get married after that, there's no more discouragement. Isn't that true? That's not even true. But if you are a preacher, now that for sure, I mean, you're in the Word of God. You're studying the Word. There's no more discouragement, is there? You know, if they'd make pills for discouragement, (laughs) those things would sell off the wall. So who is affected by discouragement? The Bible has examples of people who face discouragement. David, a man after God's own heart, he faced tremendous discouragement. Job, a perfect and upright man, faced terrible discouragement. Elijah, a man of great power. Imagine, he had an experience up on Mount Carmel where he prayed and fire fell from heaven and consumed the, the, the altar, the water, everything else. And the people fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. And then he, after that, he rolled up his pant legs and he ran ahead of a chariot in the rain all the way to town. You talk about a power-infused man. Right after that, you know what he happened? He wanted to die. He said, I'm the only one left. God, just kill me. I, I, he got scared of Jezebel. He said, just, just let me die. Moses, the meekest man on the earth, he faced horrifying moments of discouragement. Jonah, probably the most effective preacher that ever lived. How many of you like to be like Jonah? Come on, he saved. I mean, he reached the whole, the whole town of Nineveh. This man was something else. He faced discouragement to the point that he wanted to die. Paul, probably the greatest New Testament preacher, faced discouragement. Of people who didn't want to listen to his teachings. Some of his followers fell away. He had a thorn in the flesh. These were real men. They weren't weaklings. They were powerful men. Leaders. Men with influence and power. And they were bombarded with discouragement. Oh, let me tell you, I believe that's who the devil wants to discourage. It's not the weak that the devil's trying to destroy. It's the strong. It's the people that are being effective in your, in your community, in your church, in your youth group. Those are the ones that the devil wants to destroy and discourage. 
He's not worried about the people that are not making a difference for right in the lives of others. But he's worried about the people that are making a difference in their community, in their home, in their church, in their youth group. Jesus himself suffered moments of great heaviness. Not that he lost courage, but he felt a great weakness because of the heaviness of the sin of the world and because there was no one physically there to console him there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that an angel came and strengthened him. Even on the cross he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? His own father had turned his back. Do you think he knows how you feel? The Bible says he knoweth our frame. He knows how to help those that face discouragement because he has faced. He faced moments of rejection and abandonment and he went through it successfully. And doesn't that bring new meaning to the words where Jesus says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He was abandoned, but he said, I'll never do that to you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So discouragement... Is it right to face discouragement? I think it is. But it's how you handle your discouragement, whether it comes out good or bad. Discouragement can either motivate you or it can stifle you or cause you to be ineffective because of fear of failure or rejection again. What else would bring us to the feet of Jesus begging for mercy, begging for grace, begging for help, begging for direction, begging for renewed vision, begging for healing, for power, if it wasn't for discouragement and the problems that we face. You know, I think if we wouldn't have those things in our life, we'd probably forget God. We need those things to help us remember we need help. We need help. What a tremendous opportunity to just admit to God that we need help and we can't do it ourselves. I believe that's what motivated blind Bartimaeus the beggar by the roadside, to yell in the presence of that crowd, Jesus! Jesus! And they said, quiet, quiet. There's all kinds of people over there. Can't you get... You know what the Bible says? He got louder. He yelled all the more. He was desperate. He didn't care what people thought, what people said. His only hope was Jesus. His desperation, his discouragement, if you please, his problem motivated him to do whatever he could do to get to the true source of help. I'd like to look at four ways of dealing with discouragement very quickly with four people from the Bible, four different things from the Word of God. How to deal with discouragement. The first one is in 1 Samuel, the story in 1 Samuel 29, 7 through 11, and 31 through 6. I'll tell you the story without reading it because it'll take too much time. But this is the account where David and his followers, during his days of running from Saul, 
David got tired of running from Saul. And so he went to the Philistines, to King Achish. And King Achish allowed him to come to his land, and he gave him Ziklag. And David built Ziklag and built it up. And then one day, the Philistines were getting ready to go out to battle against the Israelites. And David and his men went up to Apek also, where the armies of the Philistines were gathering. And here, the, the armies of the Philistines were passing by, and the princes were, were looking at the soldiers. You know, they were coming by here, and all of a sudden, here comes David and his men. And the princes were like, what are these guys doing here? Now, King Achish loved David. He, 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 he. David was very loyal, and he was very loyal to David. And the princes went to King Achish and said, hey, look, David can't be here. What if they turn against us in the, in the army? He's got to go back home. And so, so King Achish went to David and he said, Look, I know I, I wouldn't do this, but I've got to do it. The princess said, You can't be here. So he sent David back home. And they went a three days journey back home. And I can imagine as they got close to home, they were thinking about the, the supper that they were going to have with their wives and their children, the meeting they were going to have. They were getting excited about being home, and they come home, and the whole city is burnt to the ground. Burnt to the ground. The Amalekites had invaded, and they plunged the city into destruction and burned it with fire. Can you imagine the feeling these men had? They were tired from the long journey. They were eager to get back home with their families again. And here they find this. The Bible says that David and his men lifted up their voice and wept until there was no more power to weep. They were discouraged. I can imagine they walked through the ashes trying to find something, some evidence that their families were still alive. Do you think David felt close to God right then? I don't think so. I don't think he did. The Bible says that David was greatly distressed. The people talked about stoning him. This was David's fault. You know when problems come up, when things get stressful, we start looking around, we want to see who we can blame it on. And usually, a lot of times, the person that gets the blame is not even the one to blame. Oh, when the pressure's on. Well, the Bible says these men were grieved for their sons and their daughters. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know what was going on with their, with their families right at the moment. Whether they were dead or alive. But David, in chapter 30, 30 verse 6, it says, the end of the verse, it says, But David encouraged himself. In the Lord. Oh, I love that. That made all the difference. That was the difference of staying in defeat or getting out of it. He encouraged himself in the Lord. What did David do to encourage himself in the Lord? I don't know for sure. But I think number one, I think he went and cleared himself of any sin in his life. He told God, 
I don't know if he felt bad about going to, to, to APEC or not, but he cleared his life of any sin. And then number two, I think he, he, he probably told the Lord exactly how he felt. And number three, I can imagine he went back in his mind and he remembered back when he was a teenager on the hills with the sheep. And one day a lion and a bear were out there and God helped him to destroy that lion and that bear. He killed him with his bare hands. He felt the power of God on his, on his life. And one day he went to meet Goliath and Goliath was a huge guy. And David, he picked up Five stones from a brook. And he felt the power of God in his life and in his heart. And he slung a stone and Goliath fell. And he felt the power of God during the times he was running from Saul. Many times when Saul was close by, David escaped. He felt the power of God. And he reminded himself of God's presence of those times in the past. And he knew that God didn't bring him this far to let him down now. And so he encouraged himself in the Lord and he asked the Lord if he should go after these men. And the Lord said, yes, go after them. You will recover all. And that's all it took for David. When David knew that God was going to be with him, that lit a fire in David that couldn't be stopped. And not only in him, but he lit it in his men. And they were on their way to victory. Their obstacle became their, um, what's the word I want? <laughs> Motivation. And they were in hot pursuit of the enemy because he had encouraged himself in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. In those times of discouragement and loneliness, when it feels like the Lord has forsaken us, to look back and see those new those experiences where God was definitely with us. And look at his promises to his people anew and afresh and gain new courage. Oh, I have, I have one of those that I, that I have looked back to many times. Where I... One of, one of the experiences... I don't have time to say that. I will anyway. Where I felt like maybe I, I, I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And I was, oh, I was in depression and, and fear. And, and God showed me this verse. If we, I knew the verse before, but it's just a new and a fresh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there was peace and there was joy and there was rest for about one minute. And then the devil said, yeah, but in his justness, he doesn't. He won't forgive you. And Back down I went. But that window of one minute, I've reached back to often for strength. Because I know it was the Lord. The devil doesn't give us rest and peace and joy. That was the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. The second one, is found in 2 Kings 6. It's the story where the king of Assyria wanted to attack Israel. And he would, he would, they would set up things, they would decide how to strategize, and they would, they would set up ambushments for the army of Israel. 
And the army of Israel was ready for him every time they came. He, tries, he tried different things, and there was always, they knew it. They knew exactly where he was. And finally, he said, he called his army together. He said, look, someone in here is working for the king of Israel. And one of them said, hey, nah, there's a man down there. His name's Elisha. He tells the king what you say in your bedchamber. How would you like that? He knows everything you say. And the king was, where is he? And so they searched out, and Dothan, he was in Dothan. And so he sent his army during the night to surround the city, all the way around the city. And the next morning, Elisha and his servant come out. I guess they got out on the deck or on the porch, and they look around, and they look around. And the servant said, Elisha, what are we going to do? And I can imagine, Elisha got a little smile on his face, and he said, there's more with us than are with them. Action. Elisha, sir, are you a little bit, which side of the bed did you get up this morning? Or, it's just you and I. And the Bible says that Elisha prayed and, his eye, and the servant's eyes were open and all around the hills, all around the hills, there was the army of the Lord. You see, Elisha's servant had his eyes on the problem. He needed to lift up his eyes to Jesus. There's more with us than are with them. Get our eyes. We need to get our eyes off of the problem and onto Jesus Christ because there's more with us than are with them. In 2 Corinthians, number, the third one, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, is the story of Paul. Paul had a discouragement. He said he had a thorn in the flesh, and he asked God three times if he wouldn't remove it. Do you ever have anything that you wish was different about your life? I did. Oh, I wished. I had, you know, all, all, all my teen years, I was very, very sensitive. Overly sensitive. I, I could hardly talk at one time. I just thought, oh God, if, if you would just, if you would take this away, I could be much more effective. I could be much more, I, I could help your kingdom much better. But you know, that put me on my knees a lot through those years. I spent time on my knees. And you know what happened when that started to subside? I didn't pray as much. When we don't feel a need, a lot of times we don't pray. And Paul said, I besought the Lord three times. If you could please take this away. And you know what the Lord said? My grace is sufficient for thee. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I bear this infirmity that the power of God might be made manifest. Maybe God is asking us to embrace our discouragement. If that discouragement can help you become a better person, can help you glorify God better. Maybe it's to help other people better. But Paul was asked to embrace that discouragement. Just embrace it. And let the power of God be demonstrated through his life. Embrace your discouragement, your problem, if it can bring glory and honor to God. And the fourth one, I believe another reason that God 
sends us discouragements and problems, I believe, is so that we can experience brotherhood. We were not meant to be an island all on our own. God has designed the brotherhood that we share together, weep together, pray together, rejoice together. We are to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, or, or James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's something healing about sharing with another brother or sister or the brethren. God has meant that we stand together, we share together and pray together. The Bible says that your prayer as a righteous person will do a whole lot. I remember as a young person having a strange struggle. It was strange. For about a week, I had this thing on me and just daily on me. And I thought, I'm probably just different. There's probably no one else that ever had this kind of struggle. And I, I, I talked to one of my friends about it. You know what he said? I had the exact same struggle. Just the, the duration was a little different, but the same thing. You know, some of the things that you and I experience, there may be some people right here, there may be young people here that are experiencing some of the struggles that you faced when you were a teenager. And you've been through successfully. You know how to give to help them through successfully. That's what brethren are for. That's what the brotherhood is for, to help each other. We're a brotherhood. We're here to help one another find God. In dealing with discouragement, we need brotherhood and we need each other. In conclusion, we all face discouragement and difficult times in our lives. But it's how we respond to these things that will either help us claim the victory over discouragement or keep us wallowing in its defeat. Remember, brothers and sisters, the battle is the Lord's. I'll turn the time back over to Brother Floyd.